again, Philippians 3, 12 to 21. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So we're plodding through this short letter to the Philippians. This letter where Paul is painting a picture of the Jesus life. We sang Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ around me, Christ within me. And that's what this letter is all about. Living the Jesus life. Life with Jesus. Life in Jesus and what it means to do that. And I want to begin by just connecting what I'm going to say uh, today with what we said last week. And I want to start with that first verse that we read in verse 12. I'll put it up here. It's the second half of the phrase. I love this phrase. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on Nice turn of phrase. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Last week, we looked really at the second part of that. Christ Jesus took hold of me. Looked at when when Paul was living his life, and then just by sheer grace, Jesus Christ took a hold of his life on the road to Damascus, grabbed a hold of him, and rescued him. And I, I have this picture of being in the pool with my three little daughters as they're learning how to swim, and one of them might kind of you know, drop down a step, and then I'll, I'll, I'll take hold of them, and I'll, I'll take them to myself. And Paul says, that, that's what Jesus did for me. He, he took hold of me, and he rescued me. In Paul's case, he rescued him from this life of self-righteous, legalistic, religion. And last week we looked at the, the, the idea that salvation is by grace. We looked at the gospel, that Jesus took hold of him out of sheer grace, not by Paul working towards it, but by simply receiving what Christ Jesus did. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It means at some point in our lives, Jesus Christ takes hold of our lives. May not, may not be quite as dramatic as Paul's was, but 
Whether we're five years old, whether we're 50, whether we're 90, at some point, Jesus takes hold of our lives, and it happens by grace. We receive it not by working, but by trusting. But today, we're going to look at what Paul does with it. He says, I now, having been taken hold of Christ, now I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. Jesus has taken hold of me, and there's this life that he has for me now. He didn't just rescue me from a life, but he has rescued me for a life, right? There is a journey that he has set me on. It's a journey with him. The essence of it is getting to know him more and more and becoming more and more like him. That culminates, of course, in eternal life. But now I'm on this journey that he's put me on. And so I press on to take hold of the goal for which Jesus has taken hold of me. And so we need to hold these two things together in our understanding. On the one hand, Christ saves us out of sheer grace. We don't work for it. There's no effort. It is a gift. But he has saved us for a life. And so now we pursue that life with all the energy and passion and work that we can. Not as a way of gaining favor with God, but living from God's favor. We already have his favor. We already have his salvation. So now we press on. And by the way, it's his energy working within us to help us press on. So we're we're kind of looking at the two sides of, of the coin. Today we look at this second kind, the second side of the coin. So we're, we're back today on the journey theme. We've been on this theme of journey. Christ has taken a hold of my life. He's set me on this journey, and I'm pressing on in this journey. What I want to do today is look at uh, what Paul does in this passage. He gives us two very different examples of how you can live your life. Okay? He's going to give his own example of how he set off on this journey, and then he's going to give an example of another group of people and, and the journey that they're on. And the invitation, of course, is going to be to imitate Paul in his journey. All right? So let's take a look at Paul. Another very familiar passage for many of us, I would think. Great passage. Paul gives us the example of his own life. And there's a metaphor he's running with. Hopefully you've picked it up. The metaphor, he's, he's like a marathon runner. Right? He's, he's running this race. He's heading towards the finish line. And he describes his journey in verses 12 to 14. And I want to just note three postures that I see in Paul on his journey in these, in these verses. All right? You ready for this? You ready to press on? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Uh, first one is there's this great posture of humility in this passage. Look at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this. Verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Okay. Here's the great Paul saying, just so you know, I still have so far to go. <laughs> I haven't arrived at my destiny. I, I, haven't, I haven't been made perfect. There's so much more of Jesus for me to, to know. There's so much more of me to give to Jesus. And if you're thinking I've arrived, just let you know, I have not arrived. I have so far to go. There's a real humility in Paul. And, and to me, that's such a, a wonderful quality to see like men and women who've been walking this faith journey for like 40, 50 years that still live with this real humility where you're like, man, you're, you're amazing. They're like, you don't even know. I, I, have, I have so far to go. And Paul has that kind of humility. So you see that posture. Second posture I see is the one that really uh, stands out in these verses is just this posture of intention and effort and passionate pursuit, right? You get these words uh, like verse 12, I press on to take hold of, or verse 13, I'm straining toward what is ahead. Verse 14, I'm pressing on toward the upward prize, right? Like a runner running a race, 
all the effort and focus and energy and work that goes into running, Paul says, that's how I live my life with Jesus. I'm following hard after Jesus. I go at it with effort and, and it's a struggle and a strain, but I'm going after it with all that I've got. And I think he's very clear throughout Scripture, and Scripture is very clear, that, that nobody reaches a deep level of Christian maturity without this kind of intentional, sustained effort and energy. Okay? To quote one of my favorite movies, anyone who says differently is selling something. Right? Right? We do not, you, it, nothing like this comes easy. It comes with sustained effort and discipline, intention like a runner and pulsing. That's how I go after my life with Jesus. And then third, you've got this humility, this passionate, intentional energy. And third, what I would say, what, what struck me this week, there's this, this very specific focus that he has. And, and I'm thinking of uh, verse 13. Take a look at verse 13, the second half of verse 13. One thing I do, look at this focus, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I've got this focus. I've got my sights set on what is ahead. Again, the metaphor, it's like a, a marathon runner. You don't see runners always running, always looking behind their backs, seeing how much ground have I covered so far. They're not doing it. No, their eyes are fixed forward on the road ahead, what there is left to be done, ultimately fixed on the finish line. And Paul's saying, that's how I live my life. I don't live my life looking backwards. I live my life looking forwards. Okay? Now, of course, he does look back sometimes. He, he remembers the work of Jesus in his life and the grace of God. He remembers the works of God in history. So in some senses, he looks back. But I think in this sense, he's like, my journey is ahead. I don't, I don't step back and look at, look at all the ground. I've, look at all the past spiritual accomplishments I've had. I don't look back on those things as a way of kind of resting in those going, you know, this is far enough. I've gone far enough. But look at all of that I've done. He doesn't, he doesn't live that way. And he also doesn't look back at his, his past spiritual failures. Like, yeah, I, I'm imperfect. I make mistakes every day. But I'm not, I'm not dwelling on that. I, I process. I confess. I pick myself up. I'm focused on what's ahead of me. And I think that's a good, that's just a good reminder. Especially, I think, those of us who have been at this for a long time, this journey of faith. Um, you, you come across some Christians, especially, um, again, Christians who maybe have been at this for a long time, some of the old timers in the faith. Uh, and sometimes... I think there's this temptation at that stage to look back on past spiritual accomplishments and to remember these old days. Ah, oh, I used to, you know, I used to lead all these studies and I served on these boards and I was part of that amazing movement back then. And to kind of live in the nostalgia of some past spiritual life. And Paul's like, no, I don't, I don't do that. I'm, I'm focused ahead. And, and other people do the opposite. You know, they 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 look back on 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 mistakes they've made and. Um, ways they've fallen down, it's, and it's like they just, that, that defines them. They can't seem to, to get out of that and, and move and process that in a way that they can move forward. And Paul said, I don't, look, I don't live my life looking backwards. I'm moving forwards. Anybody watching the tournament this weekend? I'm thinking of NCAA, right? You know, I was thinking, you know, when you, you watch a game and, and the winning coach or the winning player is always interviewed between games. And they always give that very focus, right? They'll, they'll talk about the game, great game, 20 rebounds, 20 assists, whatever. And they'll say, yeah, this is a great one. We're going to appreciate it for a second. But what? But we're looking, at, we're looking forward to Sunday's game against whoever, right? We're pressing on. There's a sense of, hey, we're, we're, we're going to enjoy this for a minute, but we're looking ahead. And that's what Paul does. So that's this posture. I'm like a runner. 
And there's a humility. There's so much further to go. And so I'm moving, I'm pressing, I'm straining, and I've got my eyes fixed. I was just sitting with Paul's posture today in these verses uh, uh, this last week. And, um, and there's a phrase that came to mind about, I think, the essence of what I see in him in this passage. And it's not a phrase I came up with. Um, it's this phrase here. Paul displays a holy discontent, or you could say a holy dissatisfaction. And what, what I mean by that is normally discontent is, is not encouraged in the Christian life, right? <laughs> normally it's scriptures that we're called to be content. We're called to be grateful for all that God has given us. Um, we're not you know, we're not to be envious of others who have more. But this is the kind of discontent, dissatisfaction that is, that is the good kind, that is a holy kind. There's, a, there's something that God would want in us. It's the kind that says, I have tasted the goodness of Jesus. And you know what? I just want more and more. I've tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, and I want more. I want more of Jesus, and I want Jesus to have more of me. There's this, the right kind of restlessness, the right kind of hunger and thirst for more of it. I think this discontent is what the psalmists will often uh, talk about. Here's Psalm 63. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Oh, there's a longing for more of God than I'm currently experiencing, the psalmist is saying. I think Jesus affirms this posture himself in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you when you look at yourself and you realize, I haven't arrived. (laughs) There's so much more to gain, and I'm so hungry. I'm so thirsty. I long for a deeper taste of the Lord and his righteousness in my life. I was thinking, you know, I think the most compelling Christians are those that have this kind of appropriate holy discontent. There's this longing, this thirst for more and more of Jesus. And really, I think, I think the most compelling human beings in general are human beings that live with a discontent, even if it's not in faith. Like people in whatever industry you're in or in a sport or a hobby, I think the people that are interesting to be around are those who have this kind of, there's, there's a humility about them. Like, man, there's, there's always more to learn. There's always more to gain. And there's a, there's a focus. There's a drive to learn more. And they may be like the best in their field, the best athletes, but they're always, there's this hunger Right? There's this hunger for more. And they're very compelling people to be around. I think that's what Paul was like. And he's encouraging us. That kind of, I want more of Jesus. I've tasted, I've seen, but there's more to be had. And I'm going after that. A.W. Tozer uh, wrote a book. Um, and he's got a chapter called Following Hard After God. And um, it was a book that really impacted me years ago. And uh, I'm going to give you this quote from it. I love this. Uh, The evidence that you have Jesus is that you want more of him. (laughs) To have Jesus is to want more. Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night, in season and out. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Isn't that great? This hunger and thirst for God. The opposite of this, of course, would be to uh, not hunger and thirst for God, to be utterly content with the spiritual progress we've made. So I've kind of arrived. I'm kind of good. Or just to settle for just sort of a low-grade cultural Christianity that isn't, isn't looking for more and more of Jesus. 
Uh, I'm going to give you a metaphorical story here, um, true story that's a metaphor to this. Um, so I may have told this story before, but a couple, of weeks, a couple of years ago, I was with a good friend of mine who's a personal trainer. It's always dangerous to spend time with a personal trainer. Um, but I was talking about, I've got low back problems. As you all know, I whine and gripe about it all the time. Um, so I'm talking about this. This was, I was probably 40. I'm just like, yeah, I've just been struggling. We're having coffee together. And he listens to me for about three minutes. And then in classic personal trainer fashion, he looks me, looks me in the eye and I say, you know what, Dave? He's like, dude, you're like settling for like the lowest possible amount of health that you can get by in life to get to make it through your life like you you're you're doing the least things that you can do to kind of make it through the life that you have right now and you're 40 years old now you cannot afford to pursue your health like that you have to take a much more proactive stance towards your your health the goal is not just to stay out of the red (laughs) and the, the goal has got to be to make these positive strides towards health and wholeness physically and the word stuck, and, and now you see this specimen before you. That's, um, it's kind of in ear, one ear, out the other. But I, I, I've thought, since then, I, I've been thinking a lot about the connections between physical health and spiritual health. Like, you know, that's, that is so how we are tempted to pursue our, our faith, right? Like, I've prayed the prayer. And what's like the, what's the bare minimum? What's the, what, what can I kind of get by with in light of all the other things I have to do? And Paul's saying, I don't live that way. <laughs> I'm not interested in the bare minimum. I'm pressing on. I want more. I believe there's a deeper journey that's going to end ultimately in eternal life. And so that's what I want. And then he says in verse 17, take a look at verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have... Just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Find men and women like this, Paul's saying, and and let them be your model and live like they do. It's important to find these examples. And he says that then because of what he says next. I say that to you because there are some other examples out there. And they're not going to help you in this pursuit of Jesus. And so then he goes on in verse 18 and 19 to talk about these other examples. And so let me read these two verses, and now we'll we'll turn to the negative example. Verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 18. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Okay, not totally clear who Paul is talking about here. Most scholars, and I would agree with him, think that he's talking about a group of people who at least at some point profess some kind of faith in Jesus, but the way they're living their lives betrays where their true loyalty lies. And he says some strong things, five strong descriptions of these people, pretty black and white. And what I want us to notice is he's not, there's not a judgmental tone in him as he's like pointing the finger at these people. He says in verse 18, look at verse 18 again. For I have, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with what? Tears. Yeah, so he's, he's saying, this, I'm crying as I'm writing this to you right now. I'm moved to tears. I'm so grieved by these people, probably because he knows some of them. They, they professed faith at one point. So he's grieving. He's not, he's not judging. He's, he's deeply saddened and, and pained by where these people have taken their lives. 
He gives us five brief descriptions of this, this type of life. And it's easy to look around us and find people who match these descriptions. My guess is if you're willing to look within your own heart today, you will find, find parts of your own heart that will connect with some of these descriptions. So I'm going to walk through these descriptions pretty quickly. But this is the negative example, contrast to Paul. All right, I'm going to take these five. I'm not going to take them in the order that Paul gives them. I'm actually going to start with the last one. Uh, end of verse 19. First description, their mind is set on earthly things. I'm going to put each of these uh, up on the screen so you can see it. Their mind is set on earthly things. Contrast to Paul, whose mind is set on pressing on towards that heavenly prize in Jesus. Their minds, well, they've, they've lost their focus on that prize. Their minds are entirely set on things that are, that are temporary, that are of this time and age only, merely earthly things. And we can fill in the blanks of what those things could be. Their mind is set on things like money, like acquiring possessions for themselves. Their mind is set on things like just earthly food and drink, sexual desire, sexual gratification. Their mind is set on, on their image and how they look for people and, and, and making sure that whether they, they you know, kind of compare, how they compare, how people think about them. Today, we might add things like their mind is set just on entertainment, on these distractions, okay? All these things that are not bad in and of themselves, but the issue is this. Those merely temporary things have captivated their thoughts. They have lost a focus on this pursuit of Jesus. And now if you could get inside their minds, get inside their hearts, these are the things that get them excited. These are the things they want to do. Their passion for Jesus that Paul described in the earlier verses has been dulled, has been desensitized by just a focus on all the, these other things. It reminded me, this description this week reminded me of the parable of the sowers that Jesus gives where the, the man sows seed in different kinds of soils and the seed is the word of God. And he describes this third soil where he says the soil received it, the seed in a plant group, but then remember the thorns came up and they choked it out. And Jesus says that's like the person who receives originally the idea of the gospel, but then he says the cares of this world and its pleasures and its riches choke out the word. And, and that's what's happened with these people. They're distracted by merely earthly things. Next description, again, not in Paul's order. Uh, their God is their stomach. <laughs> not an interesting phrase? Their God is their stomach. Paul, what the heck do you mean by that? I think what he means is this. They worship their appetites. They worship the, the cravings and desires and appetites they, they have inside. They don't see their inner cravings as something that actually needs to be trained for the sake of Jesus. They see this, I should look in and, and let these desires and cravings, I give free reign to those things. I worship those things. I, I, I allow those to, to do whatever they want. I can't think of a more uh, poignant description of our culture today, this culture of instant gratification, right? What is it you want? What is it you feel? You can have it like this. Their God is their stomach. Next one. Uh, their glory is their shame. Meaning, I think, they glorify things they actually should be ashamed of. They, they celebrate things that, that they shouldn't be celebrating. That, that's what is the natural outcome. When, when your God is your belly, right? you, you start just following your desires and you, and, and you start doing things that you shouldn't be doing, but... You 
celebrate them. And, and we can all think of probably being in conversations where people are, are celebrating things and, and boasting about certain things that we're secretly feeling like, no, we, we, this is not something to be boasting about. This is something to be ashamed of. This is something to grieve over. But that's what happens when the God is, is their belly. Their glory is in their shame. Next one, they live as enemies of the cross. Now, he may be talking about people who uh, buy into the idea of the cross as just a mechanism of forgiveness. Like, I love the cross. <laughs> the cross, I find forgiveness of sins at the cross, like a transaction. They may have bought into the idea of the cross, but they haven't bought into the cross as a way of life. And, and what the New Testament is so clear about is the cross is not just a, a transaction of salvation. No, it's a, it's a way of life. When we come to Jesus, we, we what? We die. <laughs> we die to ourselves. We, Paul will say, I was, I've been crucified. That old self that lived for myself... When I come to the cross and when Jesus grabs a hold of my life, well, I die to my self and leading my own life. I've now surrendered that to Jesus. Well, these people don't want to do that. And so they're actually living as enemies of that that cross-centered life. And then finally, and and, uh, most grievously, he says their destiny is destruction. Okay, in very clear terms, Paul is saying these people will not receive the heavenly prize. And in the end, they actually don't want it. They don't really want Jesus. They want these other things. And so they will not receive Jesus either in this life or the next life. Again, strong, seemingly harsh things, but he is crying. They say he's grieving these things. And of course, he's sharing this to the Philippians and to us to say, don't follow that example. Beware of that kind of life. That is not the life that God has for you. And then he ends by turning back. Oops, you can fix that for me. Uh, Turning back to the positive, back to the Philippians. Look at uh, verse 20. He turns back to them. But our citizenship is in heaven, right? Our loyalty is in heaven, not on earthly things. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's an entire sermon series right there. But a beautiful picture is, hey, our, our loyalty is in this heavenly kingdom, and we're waiting for a heavenly Savior who will return. And when he does, what's he going to do? He's going to transform things. He's going to transform our bodies no more low back pain, right? No more cancer, no more aging. We're gonna, that, that glorious body that he got at his resurrection that we'll celebrate in two weeks, we're going to receive bodies like that. And of course, he's also going to transform our inner character. He's going to transform the whole place. That's, that's, that's where our citizenship is in that future. And so what's our posture today? What does he say, verse 20? The posture is this, we eagerly await that, right? That's a holy discontent. We long for something that we don't yet have. In Romans, he calls it, we groan. We're groaning in this broken place, yearning for the future. It's this, I've tasted the goodness, I've seen it, and I want more, and I'm eagerly awaiting for that Savior. So there you have Paul's message today. Two very different ways of living this journey. Following hard after Jesus, 
right? Staying focused on him, pursuing him, going deeper and deeper in our relation with him versus just getting caught up in what the world has to offer and losing that focus on Jesus and that heavenly call. So as you sit with those two uh, stark contrasts, very different examples, I would just ask you these basic questions of, number one, has Jesus grabbed a hold of your life? In, in subtle or very powerful ways, can you say, Jesus Christ, he grabbed a hold of my life. And if so, then what would it look like for you to say, I'm, in line of that, I'm pressing on to grab hold of the life that he has for me. He's freed me for this new life, and so I'm going after that new life with everything I've got. I'm going to make mistakes every day, but I'm going after it. I'm not looking back. That is my journey. I'm not living looking back. I'm living with my eyes focused on him, fixed on him for this heavenly prize. And for you, what would it look like in this season of your life to not settle, um, to, to, to lean in, say, Jesus, I, I want more. I, I trust that you're big enough that if I pursue you more, there's more to be had, that you're not so shallow that if I just keep going after you, at some point I'm going to come to the end of you and there's going to be nothing more. I trust that you're that big that I can keep going and I'll just find more and more depths of who you are and what it means to live for you. So what would it look like for you in this season to say, I want, I want to do that. I may be grateful for what I have, but I'm gonna, I, wanna, I wanna hunger and thirst for more. It may be, hey, I just need to spend more time with you, Jesus. I just need to, I need to carve out more time with you. It might be some new adventure that he's got you on that, that you need to step into. Uh, it might be what he's saying here to follow the example. Maybe there's people that you need to get to know. Like, I need to have a couple people in my life who are going hard after Jesus. I don't have that right now. I need to find them. I need to pursue them and say, hey, can we start hanging out? I want to understand how you do this. What would that look like for you? And, and I want to just, I want to end by talking to you. Um, I'll call you the old timers. Um, those of you who are, who are older in age and older in the faith. You've been at this Christian thing for 40, 50, 60 years. And I just think this is such an inspiring passage. And I say that, I, I would encourage you, especially if you feel like an old timer, um, this is a great passage for you. Uh, the temptation is to kind of move into a retirement um, stage of your faith. You know, I've been there, done that. I've, I've done that. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Keep going. Keep, keep growing into your 80s and 90s. What a, what a beautiful picture. So I, I thought, especially for you to hear this, I think this would be inspiring. Let's close in prayer. And we're going to do something a little different right now. I'm actually going to ask uh, several of you to pray for us. Uh, I haven't picked anybody, so some of you will have to be brave souls. But I, I thought we could just as a community come and pray together that the Lord would do fresh work in our lives. So here's, here's some of the prayers that you might want to pray um, on behalf of our community. Uh, maybe it's a prayer of confession. To just sort of on behalf of all us, you know, where, where do we have our mindset on earthly things? Where have we maybe lost focus? Um, it can be personal to you or just what you see. Um, and it could be a prayer of confession. Just honestly saying, Lord, man, we, we do tend to <laughs> lose our focus. Um, it could also be maybe a prayer of petition where you're, you're asking the Spirit to do a fresh work in some way. Lord, would you take us deeper? You need to move in us. Whatever it is, uh, we just want to give space to, to do this together. So if a couple of you would be brave, and you can just pray out loud from where you are, um, 
And pray on behalf of us that, that God would do this, that, that he would set us on this, this journey that Paul's on in a fresh way. And then uh, we'll have Christina actually come up and close the time of prayer. So if any of you be willing, um, we can have some time of silence, but also would love to hear from a couple of you. Just pray on behalf of our community, for our community.